Welcome to this week's episode of The Thatcher Effect, a top 10 Utah Utes podcast. I believe that the Marvel supervillain Thanos said it best when he said, Dread it, run from it, destiny arrives all the same, and now it's here. Or should I say, I am. Now, the Utes don't have to face a purple alien chasing magical stones to put in his gauntlet. Instead, they have a gauntlet of their own, the next four weeks on their football schedule. Sure, fans are thinking that Utah can walk into the Coliseum and get another W, but I'm here to give you all the details on why you should be both excited and nervous for the battle with USC. Plus, should Cam Rising and Brant Keithy medically redshirt? I'll give you my thoughts on that option and more starting right now on The Thatcher Effect. Let's go. Hey, Thatcher Effect fans, this episode is brought to you by Homefield, the premium college apparel on the market. This is by far the most comfortable gear you'll wear to a Utah game all year. Even better than that, first-time buyers get 15% off of their first purchase. Just use code VARIETYSPORTS, no space, and you'll get that 15% discount on some awesome throwback Utes gear. That's code VARIETYSPORTS. Let's get to this week's headlines. Number 16 Utah football defeated Cal at home in their Ute Crowd game last Saturday with a final score of 34-14. The big star and surprise of the week was starting safety turned star running back Sione Vaki, who finished the game with 15 carries for 158 yards and two touchdowns. Bryson Barnes was also the Utes quarterback that game, had an effective day through the air, throwing for 15 for 21 and 128 yards. It's not great but it's certainly not terrible, and the Utes were just looking for efficient, and that's what Barnes gave them. I'll give my recap thoughts on this game later in the episode with some more detail. More movement happened in the AP Top 25 poll after last week's games in the Pac-12 Conference. Washington has now become the clear favorite to win the conference as they move up to number five after their close win over the Ducks in Seattle. Oregon only fell one spot tonight, which doesn't really surprise anyone as they prepare to travel to Salt Lake City next week. Oregon State still steadily climbs back up to 12th overall. They've got a very interesting matchup in two weeks, which I'll talk about a little bit later in the headlines. Utah moved up to 14th, while USC drops all the way down to 18th. If you told me before the season started that Utah would be ranked higher than USC when those two teams faced off, I would have said you were crazy. But here we are. UCLA comes in last at 25th. And like I stated in last week's episode, we should expect a lot of movement with who is where in terms of the top 25 rankings, but consistency with the number of teams that stay ranked throughout the season in the Pac-12 Conference. After last week, I'm probably leaning towards five or six being that number moving forward. Now, as always, let's go over last week's Pac-12 games and I'll tell you what I took away from each game. First one, electric game happening on Friday night in Boulder, Colorado, where the Stanford Cardinal come back from being down 19 to 0. Storm back to win 46 to 43 in double overtime. This game further proved my point that I made in last week's headlines about the weaknesses of this Colorado team. They have two fantastic players on the offensive side of the ball in Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter. Both of them were the leading Heisman candidates after the first two weeks of the season. But of course, with Travis Hunter going down and then the offensive line really getting some pressure from better teams throughout conference play, 
Sanders' numbers dropped a little bit, but he still threw for 400 yards in this game. Problem being, the defense for Colorado is not elite in the slightest. The fact that you allow Stanford's offense to go for 46 is insane. Now, I understand that Troy Taylor, the head coach of Stanford, he's a great offensive mind. In fact, if Utah fans, if you don't remember, that was your offensive coordinator for two years from 2017 to 2018. And this offense was such a boost from what the Utes were having to deal with from the year-in, year-out offensive coordinators that they were getting before Taylor. Now he brings that mindset to Stanford, and I think that's exactly the type of playbook that they are looking for because with a lot of the limitations that Stanford faces with NIL and a lot of the academic requirements that they need to have for the athletes to be there, they need to have something else to help them out. And I think Troy Taylor's playbook allows for that little more room that they need to kind of grow and maybe become competitive again in this new era of college football. This will for sure be the highlight of their season, without a doubt, the biggest comeback in program history. I don't see them winning another game. I didn't see them winning this game, so they could surprise me again, but I don't see them winning one more throughout the rest of the season. Colorado may just win one more game. That's it. You look at the rest of their schedule, and none of them are gimmies at all whatsoever. Uh, next, they will face UCLA on the road, and then they will host Oregon State and Arizona. And then they finish off on the road at Wazoo and then at Utah. Like, none of those are gimmies in the slightest. Maybe, maybe their best shots to win would be Arizona at home. And that depends on the quarterback play of Noah Fafita, which I'll get into in a few games. And at Wazoo, if you get the type of performance that we got from Cam Ward this last weekend. But I think that had a better credit to do to Arizona's defense than what Cam Ward did. So let's see what Colorado can come up with. But... As of right now, they're sitting at four wins. They need to get to six to become bowl eligible. I said that they would get four wins preseason, maybe five, and I'm still sticking with that right now. It's not the teams that I think they would beat or would lose to, but they're still probably going to have a similar record to what I predicted in the preseason. Game of the week, perhaps game of the year. Seventh-ranked Washington defeats eighth-ranked Oregon in a fantastic rivalry game, 36-33. to Oregon missed a kick as the clock expired. Camden is the same type of kicker that I expected in a critical moment for Oregon. He's been there for five years, I believe, and in crucial moments throughout his entire career with the Ducks, he hasn't made a kick. So I wasn't expecting him to make that one to tie the game up at the end of the game, but that's no discredit to Bo Nix and that offense. This was a great game, and I think there's some things you can nitpick on both sides, but these are by far the two clear frontrunners of the Pac-12 conference. It's not even a debate. Michael Penix Jr. is also the Heisman frontrunner after this game. That's what a primetime game on ABC, that's what it'll do. It'll give you viewership and allow people to see who you truly are. Washington now was able to face a tough opponent, which a lot of people were saying Washington really hadn't faced anyone that was a great team before this. Now you got your primetime game against Oregon, a top 10 team, and you got the win. Michael Penix Jr. finished 22 for 37 for 302 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick to a pretty good balanced Oregon defense, in my opinion. A defense that I think the Utah offense without Cam Rising and Keithy will have their hands full next weekend. Washington's gauntlet begins for them in the last four games of their schedule, but Oregon still has some nice balance. They kind of take a week in, week off in terms of the level of competition. 
but I'm still expecting both teams to have one more loss on their schedule. Just kind of depends on who I think they lose to. So it should be interesting for both of those programs moving forward. Arizona destroyed 19th ranked Washington State on the Palouse, 44 to six. This game once again proves that Noah Fafita is him. Utah fans should be absolutely worried about that late November game in Tucson. In my opinion, the environment is gonna be like Oregon State 2.0. Jaden Delora was already a quarterback that I was worried about with this Utah team, not because of the Utah defense's struggles, but solely because he's able to move outside of the pocket. Noah Fafita is just able to take command of the offense, and the fact that he is a true freshman doing this against top-level competition could scare you. Arizona is moving into the Big 12 with Utah, and Noah Fafita, in my opinion, looks to be the future of this Wildcat program. And the fact that he outperformed the reigning Heisman winner the week before, then goes on to go against Washington State and an offense with Cam Ward that has been electric all season, and then just absolutely destroys them, that should make you afraid. So my two dark horse games before the season started was Oregon State and Arizona. That's going to stay the same. And I think they pose the same threat. I think Arizona is a much better team. They lost a few games that I don't think they should have. I thought they were going to be bowl eligible. They certainly can be with what they have coming up. Arizona's strength from what I saw in that Wazoo game comes from their running game. So a quick key to the game looking a month out is that Utah needs to shut that down when they play them. And that's a good sign for Utah fans because the Utah rushing defense is one of the best in the country. But once again, your problem that you're facing is some great wide receivers and potentially Noah Fafita or Jaden Delora. So that's going to be a tough game coming up in November. Washington State now goes up to Eugene. And so now I'm kind of interested to see how they respond after such a tough game. Wazoo now goes down to four and two on the year and their gauntlet, and if you want to call it that, or their best games, their best competition, it all comes on the road. And obviously we know that Eugene is one of, if not the toughest place to play in the conference. And so I want to see how Cam Ward responds. As I mentioned in the preseason, he had a lot of flashes. People were talking a lot about him before the season started. And then he started to prove those predictions and all of those people that were talking about his game right as they started the season undefeated and they were beating really good teams like Wisconsin. So if they go up to Oregon and they get a win, I would not be surprised, but also I'm leaning towards Oregon, obviously because they're coming off of a tough loss and they know that they need to win out if they want to get to the CFP and obviously get back to the championship. 21 ranked Notre Dame destroyed 10th ranked USC 48 to 20 out in South Bend. Now, I knew that USC would not go undefeated. And I think I stated in last week's episode that I predicted they would not leave the Pac-12 conference without two conference losses, which I still think that obviously after last week's game. What I did not predict was that this game would not be the defense's fault entirely. It was turnovers on the offensive side of the ball and on special teams. Notre Dame was able to have a lot of short field advantages to score quickly. Caleb Williams didn't help because it was by far his worst game of his career. But the defense, it wasn't their fault. If Notre Dame, if you look at the statistics, when they had a full field stacked up against them, they only scored 13 points. So now that you kind of look at it from that vantage point, should you be worried about this USC defense? In my opinion, yes and no, but not for the reasons you're thinking. And I'll get into that when we get into the keys for the game 
against USC this weekend. Like I said, Williams had his worst game of his career. 22 for 37 for 199 yards, a touchdown, and three picks. The fact that Bryson Barnes was only 70 yards behind Caleb Williams is astounding to me. And now I'm interested to see, is this Caleb Williams rebound game? That's my main concern and worry going up against the Trojans this Saturday is that this is the men- let's see what the mentality is of this Trojans team, right? You have your worst game. You have CFP hopes. You know you can't lose another game. You want to get revenge against Utah. So how are you going to show up and compete? That's what I'm worried about. And we'll see that right from the get-go on Saturday evening. Obviously, like I said, they have CFP hopes. I don't think they're going to get there. In fact, I think they're going to have three losses when all is said and done at the regular season. I don't know if that's Utah. I don't know if that's Washington. I don't know if that's UCLA. I just don't think that they'll get out of here clean. I don't think they'll have an undefeated pack of record, especially with that defense moving forward. And now maybe with some offensive struggles. 15th ranked Oregon State beat 18th ranked UCLA at home 36-24. Dante Moore is still young, and that's really what held the Bruins back in this game as he threw three picks, one of them going back for a pick six. Both defenses are good. And like I said last week, they will play upset to multiple teams this year. Interestingly enough, though, I'm picking Arizona to upset Oregon State in Tucson next weekend. So I'm really excited to see what that game looks like. Hopefully it's an evening game. I haven't looked at the time yet, but I really want to see how that one turns out because I think that one, besides Oregon-Utah, will be the game of the weekend the conference. As I mentioned before, and as you probably know, 14th-ranked Utah will travel to L.A. this weekend for the finale of the in-conference rivalry against 18th-ranked USC. The Utes are seven-point underdogs and will need perhaps their best defensive performance of the year without Cole Bishop in the first half after one of the worst targeting calls I've ever seen in my lifetime. The game will kick off on Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain on Fox. Utah also got its game time confirmed for Oregon. I just had to bring this in here. 130 Mountain on Fox at home. No night games at all this season. Like, what the heck? This is blasphemous. If Even if you are a... I know this sport is run by TV, and so that market is really driving game times and competition, but everyone should know that Rice Cycles at Night is a completely different environment. And this is by far the best home game that Utah's going to have all year. So why is it not a night game? It's a day game, and it's blowing my mind that Utah will not get a night game, if at all, until November. Absolutely wild. Another thought. College game day, if you're looking at next week's games, they should be coming to Utah. As far as what I've seen, the only other ranked matchup next weekend is Duke visiting Louisville, which I believe they've already visited both of those programs. And Duke is playing Florida State on the road. Duke is ranked 17th. Florida State is ranked 4th. I don't think they win that game. If they lose, do they drop out of the top 25? If that's the case, then Utah-Oregon is the best matchup of the week. If Utah wins this weekend, expect college game day to come to Salt Lake City. That's all for the headlines this week. Let's get to the main topic of today's show. So to recap the Cal game from last weekend, I'm going to go through my keys to what I said Utah needed to do before the game and see if they accomplished them. And if so, how did they do it? If not, what can they do to improve this next week? So, keys to the game last week against Cal. My first one was to open up the playbook and allow what I thought would be Nate Johnson at the time to pass the ball down the field. 
Instead of Cal decides to load the box, you need to max protect the quarterback and let him air it out. Now, it wasn't Nate Johnson behind center. It was Bryson Barnes. But I think that Utah did accomplish this, but not entirely, okay? I think that they did allow for max protection. There were play designs that allowed for a lot of time in the pocket, although Bryson Barnes, if you look at it, when he dropped back to pass on medium yardage or long throw situations, he didn't really get it out. It was a lot of scrambling. He was looking down the field. He had tons of time in the pocket, but you never really saw him air it out. He was scrambling a ton, and that's a lot of concern for me, and I think it comes from the wide receiver room. Wide receivers weren't getting open. Barnes was sitting there, and I think Barnes is also slow on his reads, and so that combination was just not great. I think the offensive line played a great game, perhaps their best game of the year, but this gives me cause for concern because Barnes wasn't finding people and the wide receivers weren't getting open, although he had time in the pocket. So it did allow for scramble opportunities, like I mentioned. It was it allowed for Barnes to get first down runs and then allowed for the running back game to kind of open up. So I think that key was 75% completed, right? You just needed to give him time, and I think that's what the Utah offensive line allowed him to do. So I'm going to say that they accomplished that key to the game. The second was that Cal would be starting their third quarterback of the season in true freshman Fernando Mendoza, and I told that Utah needed to make his life a living hell. Mendoza didn't have a great game, but he outperformed my expectations, and these stats are kind of skewed, especially because he got injured and they had to bring in another quarterback. So Mendoza finished the game 10 for 17 for 149 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Right off the bat, he was showing signs that he was not scared of Rice Eccles. He was just a freshman making mistakes, and I think that has a lot of upside for California as they move forward with their program. If Fernando Mendoza is the guy, I think they can be set you know, two or three years down the road when he becomes a true veteran for that program. So I'd like to say that Utah had a great game on defense. They didn't make Mendoza's life a living hell, but they had a great time in the backfield, got a lot of sacks. Um, I think that has more to do with Mendoza's mentality rather than the Utah defense performance. So I'll say that Utah completed this key. The last one I said is that they needed to score one touchdown a quarter. Keep consistent and don't allow for any momentum from the away team for the whole game. Utah did not complete this key to the game, although they were very close. Utah's first offensive drive was stalled in California uh, territory, and then obviously they missed a short yardage field goal that allowed them to be scoreless for the rest of the game. But from the second quarter on, Utah scored 14 points, 10 points, 10 points. From that point on, they were extremely consistent. Sure, they allowed Cal to score two touchdowns, and one of them was the opening touchdown in the first quarter. So that was a tiny bit of momentum. But besides that, Utah stayed in control for the whole game. I said that if Utah did all three of those keys, that they would win 31-10. They ended up winning 34-14, a very close call to what I predicted. So don't call me a wizard, but I might just be magic. I I also said that this is their get-right game before the USC contest, and I think that's absolutely what this was. This was the most balanced performance from the offense and defense from the entire season. You know, you look at all of the teams that they've played to this point, I think before this game, you would say that, you know, putting Weber State aside, obviously because it's an FCS team, I think Florida would probably be their most efficient game on both sides of the ball, right? And you can say that that's due to the 70-yard pass at the beginning of the game. 
But the defense has obviously stayed consistent week in, week out. It's just the offense that's been holding it back. And I think that this game with over 300 yards of rushing offense and with the quarterback play just being efficient, you know, not not long, but just efficient, that's just what Utah needed. And so that's the type of performance, if it's Barnes again this weekend, which I'm thinking it probably will be, that's the type of performance you're going to need to have. Establish the run game once again. And then you can allow for pass opportunities to kind of get going on the offensive side of the ball. I think the defense should have, relative to what USC offense performs, should have a pretty good game. The USC offense hasn't really faced a super tough defense. And I think that's what they get this weekend in the Utes. So let's see how they perform. But looking back at this Cal game, that's exactly what Utah needed to do. They did it. And so now we're looking forward to this gauntlet of a schedule that they now have to face. Now, the cornerbacks are also a weakness. And I think I noticed that in this Cal game. And I I think that they get exposed this weekend against the Trojans if they play the same way that they did against the Golden Bears. I say that because Cal had two touchdown opportunities, perfectly drawn up plays. Cornerbacks had missed assignments where if the wide receiver doesn't drop the ball, it's a touchdown. And so this game could have been a lot closer than it was. Obviously, those wide receivers and that quarterback is going to be the reigning Heisman winner and four and five star athletes out on the edges. Those wide receivers aren't going to drop those balls and the quarterback is not going to miss those throws. So if you're the cornerbacks for Utah this weekend, this is your game. This is the time to finally step up and say, "Okay, we're not going to make those mistakes anymore. It's time to step up. That was my really big concern from this last weekend's game against Cal. Like I mentioned, offensive line played much better. But I think that was also due to the great running backs in Vaki and Jackson. Jackson is such a powerful running back when he's at least semi-healthy, and that's the miracles that he got out of this Cal game. Not super scratched, right? He didn't go out on a limping, which is what he's done every other game this year. And Sione Vaki, I mean, look at this guy. It's the next Eric Weddle. That's what everyone's calling him because of his wildcat packages. But he's been able to kind of expand this playbook, right? Allow Ludwig to drop some new plays. That's what Andy likes to do. And although the Wildcat from, you know, a viewer's vantage point is very predictable, Vaki was able to get a lot of yardage. 158 yards on 15 carries is averaging more than 10 yards a carry. That's fantastic. And those two running back performances also really proved to me that Jalen Glover's just not it for me, at least not yet. He hasn't proven anything effective. He hasn't gone for big runs for most of the year. I don't know if that's a tribute to his size or it's just his knowledge of the offense, but he doesn't have the same type of power that Sione and Jaquindon kind of proved against Cal this last weekend. So let's see what happens, but I'm just not really sold yet on Jalen Glover. So hopefully Jaquindon can stay healthy. Sione Vaki can continue to be a part of this offense. And it's interesting if, if Cam Rising does come back this year, and that'll be our next topic, do they keep this wildcat package to kind of keep things interesting? I think they do, especially as if rising does come back, you're trying to knock some of that rust off. So let's see what they can do. I'm very interested to see how Zione does moving forward. As I mentioned, the next topic is going, going to include Cam rising because why wouldn't it? He's the face of the program. And I feel like everyone's just talking about him every week. I mentioned this in passing in last week's episode, but it's become more of a mainstay topic this week after Kyle Whittingham mentioned it in his Monday morning press conference. Kyle Whittingham passingly mentioned about the opportunity for a medical redshirt for both Cam Rising and Brand Keithy. Now, what does that mean to Utah fans? So a medical redshirt, in order to be eligible 
for it moving forward in college football now. You can't play in the final six games of the regular season. Now, Cam Rising and Brent Keithy have not played at all yet, and the Cal game was the sixth game of the year. So if they want to get a medical redshirt or at least a very good chance to get one, they can't play for the rest of the season. Now, at first glance, you're like, why would they do this? We're in competition to three-peat in the Pac-12. It's the final of their conference. They came back to win it this year. That's the reason they came back. So why would they not want to play? I'm just going to go through my thoughts, try and make it coherent, and don't worry if you guys don't agree, but these are just my thoughts on maybe why or why shouldn't Cam Rising or Brant Keithy come back for a medical redshirt. I'll start with Brant Keithy. It's so interesting that no one's talked about him week in and week out. We're always talking about Rising. And that's valid because he's the starting quarterback. He's the face of the program, right? He's the guy who's been able to get Utah two trophies in back-to-back seasons. Keithy's fantastic, though. Before his big injury against ASU, he was better than Dalton Kincaid in terms of production because Cam Rising, that was his favorite target. And Keithy was one of the top tight ends, if not the best in the country. Goes down with that ACL tear against ASU, and obviously he's faced some setbacks because he got that last September, hasn't gotten on the field yet. We've heard some rumors that he got some some cleaning surgery done within the last few weeks to clean out some tissue. So we don't know if we'll see him at all this season. But I don't think that Keithy needs to medically redshirt. I don't think that he will, mostly because, sure, he's been here for a lot of years, but he has a lot of film. He's been here since 2018, and especially in the 2019 and 2021 seasons, he's already proven his skill set. I don't think that there was anything else that he really needed to show. I think some of the main reasons he came back was for NIL and obviously to continue to be great with Utah. He mentioned before last season they had CFP aspirations and obviously to repeat his pack of champions, which they did. But obviously he wasn't a part of the team that much because he got injured in the fourth game of the year. I think the only thing that he really needed to come back and prove was consistency and coming back from injury. He looks the same as what he did before. And I think the only thing that he'll need to change moving forward in the NFL is his body weight composition. I don't know if he wants to be a wide receiver in the league. I don't know if he wants to continue to be a tight end, but he wants to stay at the same position in the pros. He needs to put on some weight, right? That was his main thing. And that's kind of what set him apart in the college ranks is that he's shifty because he is kind of built in between a wide receiver and a tight end. And that allows him to be in the slot. He blocks really well. And then he can get out in transition, go run seam and post routes up the middle in the slot. And because he's so fast, a lot of the defenses weren't expecting it. And he gets open a lot of the time. Plus he has great hands. He's able to catch the ball extremely well. He will be just fine in my opinion, if he doesn't play at all this season. Um, And especially if he comes back, you know, for the final three or four games this year, I think that's perfect for him, right? Get a few things on film that maybe if he has to change anything at all, you have some opportunities to do so. But other than that, Keithy does not need to come back. He hasn't needed to come back the past two seasons. So I'm not expecting him to have this pressure on him to play. It's interesting, though, because he used to have a weekly conversation with Bill Riley on ESPN 700, and that's completely faded away since like the second week of the season. We haven't heard from him at all. And so Keithy's kind of gone into the dark and we don't have anything to put against him. He has no pressure whatsoever to come back out into the light and tell us what his exact plans are. He doesn't owe us that. He doesn't owe us anything. So Keithy, I think the red shirt reasoning or conversation can start and end right there. He doesn't need it. And I think he'll be just fine. 
with his chances in the NFL. Now, Cam Rising, now that's a very interesting situation, and I'm going through all these different thoughts as to why or why not Cam Rising should return. When I first thought about the opportunity for a medical redshirt for Thick Boy 7, my selfish thoughts were he should come, you know, he should medically redshirt and come back for 2024 season. And that was me thinking I was being selfish because I just want to get another championship. I want Utah to be competitive in their first year in the Big 12. I think that'd be a great opportunity for rising, right? And so I'm just going through all these thoughts. I'm thinking, well, you know, that's just the selfish fan in me that wants him to come back. But the more and more that I think about it, it could be logical for rising to come back for one more year. Obviously, there are some cons, and I'll go through those. But if I look and weigh the pros and cons for Rising's return, I don't think it's super out of the ordinary for him to come back for another year at Utah. Now, Rising right now is estimated to be earning, through NIL deals, between $750,000 and $1 million in NIL deals, and that's per ESPN 700. Now, I don't know if that's true. I've heard 500000 a lot. Either way, that is a heck of a lot money more than Rising would probably make as a scouting quarterback in the league. Most quarterbacks, when you go into the NFL and you're playing on the practice squad or you're a third four-string quarterback, you know, you're making about 60 k And if you're drafted, obviously you'll make a little bit more money, but nothing close to seven hundred and fifty k and a million dollars. You're doing that with Utah. You become the face of a program. And so Rising has an opportunity to continue to make that money if he returns next year. I don't know why you wouldn't. That's a fantastic opportunity to continue to get a lot of money as a college athlete and continue to perform at the highest level. So NIL, there's one opportunity to come back. You're getting a lot of money more than you would in the NFL. Obviously, I don't know if that's a super persuasive um, point to bring a quarterback back, obviously, because if you have a shot at the NFL, you need to take it whatsoever. I don't think they really care about the money off the bat. They just want to get their opportunity to maybe get a start in the NFL. And as far as what we've heard from Rising, he thinks he has that opportunity starting this next offseason. The other opportunity, and this is, again, what's kind of the selfish fan in me, you can come back and win another championship. And in my opinion, it's a much easier path and a better opportunity for overall success for the Utah program. So if Utah loses two more games this season, they're out, right? And Cam already said that the reason he came back this season was to win and three-peat the Pac-12 championship. These next two weeks are must-win opportunities for Utah. Utah can lose two games and still make it to the championship, right? But it's that tiebreaker. That's what set Utah into the game last year. They're going to need that again if they get two losses this year. Now, you have to win these games against the big-time programs. The reason why they were able to sneak in is they only lost to Oregon, but they were able to beat USC, right? So they were able to get in over other teams like Washington. And so these next two weeks are huge, right? And if Rising, who's most likely not to play because he just hit his nine-month marks in surgery, and since Dr. Ella Trosh said that it's around 10 to 12 months that you recover, I understand Cameron's ahead of schedule, but I'm just going off of the stats here. If Utah loses these next two games, they're out right? And if you don't have rising, it's a much higher probability that Utah loses these next two games. So if Utah's out of championship contention, then what's the reason for coming back and playing those final four games? If you're not playing for anything and really you're only doing it for NFL film, which is another reason that he came back. Okay. But these next two games are going to require Utah's best ever to win these next games against USC and Oregon. If they don't do it, 
then what's really the reason that Cam's coming back? I don't really know. Like I mentioned just a few seconds ago, he needs to come back for more film. He went to the NFL, got some feedback on what he needed to do. My feeling is that they show, they kind of told him, hey, you need to improve on the long throws, the deep passing. That's what will help you become a better NFL quarterback because he's has a great presence in the pocket. He's a great scrambler. He's good in quick slants and short yardage opportunities and his check down passes, but he needs to be better in the long throws. Is four games enough to prove that? And especially with the wide receiver room this year with the amount of, or should I say the small amount of touches they've been getting all year, is that enough film for him to prove to NFL scouts that he has improved in that category? In my opinion, I don't think so, right? I, I don't think four games is enough. I think it's obviously better if he plays a full season, but you're risking once again coming back and getting re-injured. So that's another thing that he has to be concerned about. Another pro, in my opinion, is that more recovery time or more time off the field equals better play when you return. That's just a fact. Each month that Cam Rising takes to rehab, the better he's getting and the more solid that his knee is getting in terms of recovery. He's getting better as allowing him to become more of the player that he was pre-injury. So if he doesn't play at all this season, he now has or he will have a year and a half of recovery time before he returns to the field, which means he can be 100% of the player that he was pre-injury, which is exactly what Utah fans would want, which is exactly what Cam Rising would want to prove to NFL scouts who he is. And even if he does get injured again, right, that will tank his draft stock. But if it happens later in the season, and again, this might be the selfish fan of me, he'll have enough film to maybe once again prove, Cape. Okay, I've improved in these different categories. This is what you wanted to see. I've done that. I can rehab again. You saw that I can do it. So let me get a chance at the NFL. So more recovery time equals better play. Now, age is also something that the NFL also takes into account. I don't like how much they seriously consider their body metrics, right? You measure their finger length, their palm length, you measure their arm width and their vertical, right? And they take a lot of these things so seriously into their account, into the draft, which I think is insane. And I think a Utah, a great Utah example of this would be Britton Covey. Britton Covey has proven to be a fantastic punt return in the NFL, but obviously he wasn't drafted solely because he's small. He's a small guy. And the NFL loves to have the perfect types of bodies to play in their big-time roles and their skill positions. Rising, he's going to be older, right? And here's the thing is age is something else that they also take into account. But look at the guys like Taysom Hill. And I think I know the BYU fans don't like this, and I agree with them that a lot of people get mad at them for having quote-unquote older players, which they really don't. But the guys that are in the league that you know served missions and played a lot of time with BYU, they're older, right? Look at Taysom Hill. He is a great player in the NFL. He's versatile. He's athletic. He's older. He doesn't have as much time in the league as other players, but he's still one of the faces of the New Orleans Saints. And so I think that Rising can still thrive despite his age, if he goes to the league, rising is not that old. I believe he's 23 right now, maybe 24. So you're saying he'll be 25 years old when he gets there. Tom Brady played till he was 41, maybe even older. I'm, I think he's probably 45 or it was 45 or something like that. And so if, if rising is able to have a good career, which is what he aspires to have, you're looking at maybe a good solid decade in the league. That's fantastic. That's exactly what you would want. So I don't think age should be a really big concern for NFL scouts when it comes to Cam Rising. Also, like I mentioned, if I want to be selfish, if Rising comes back, 
Utah is by far the clear favorite to win the Big 12, no question, right? You'll have a lot of other key returners. I don't think Utah loses a lot in terms of seniors coming out. It'll be interesting to see kind of what Cole Bishop does and the other juniors who maybe want to leave early, Junior Tafuna, other guys like that. If you get those guys back, Utah would have a much easier path to not only a Big 12 championship, but to the college football playoff because it expands. If Utah was in the 12-team playoff, you know, these last 10 years with the four-team format, if I did my research correctly, Utah would have been in the playoff, I believe, four times throughout that time. So if Rising comes back, you have an excellent opportunity to be a top 12 team in the country, to be a Big 12 Power 5 champion, and you are an absolute legend. You might become the greatest Ute of all time if you win the Pac-12 twice and the Big 12 once. There's no other way around it. So those are my thoughts on if Cam Rising returns. And looking at those pros and cons, in my opinion, call me crazy, I think it might be better for him to medically redshirt. Utah will still have a great season without him. I, obviously, I don't think they're going to make it to the Pac-12 Championship without Cam Rising. I think that they'll probably win eight or nine games. They might get one of these big wins against USC, Oregon, or Washington, but I just don't see them winning um, all but one game the rest of the season. So let's see what Rising does decide to do, and let's see if he comes back this week. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of progresses and follows along because if Kyle Whittingham mentions it, it probably means that they brought it up to the players. And, you know, even if they're not leaning towards that decision, they're most likely considering it. Now, for our final topic of today's show, let's get to the keys to the game for this big time USC game this weekend at the Coliseum. Most of the time, in fact, all the time, my keys for the game have been three different points. This week, I'm going to say that Utah has to accomplish four if they want to beat the Trojans in the Coliseum. My first point. Utah needs to become elite at defending the scramble drill. Kyle Whittingham mentioned this in the coaches show with Bill Riley and called this practice or this format to plaster, right? So what happens is when a quarterback scrambles out of the pocket and extends the play, the wide receivers then go into something that is called a scramble drill, which means that they break off of their routes and they go to open parts of the field. And they practice this. Every team practices this, right? Because, Obviously, you're going to go through multiple quarterback hurries throughout a game. So when this happens, if you're playing zone as a defensive secondary, you find the closest wide receiver to you and you stick on them man-to-man from that point forward, right? Because they're going to break off from the routes and now they're just trying to get open. So as a defense, you just have to find the nearest guy to you and stick onto him like glue. The problem is, like I mentioned in the headlines, Caleb Williams and this wide receiver core are going to be some of the best that Utah is going to face all year, maybe besides Washington. So I know and I expect the defensive line to create pressure on Caleb Williams and get into the backfield. But Caleb Williams will be extending plays. As a defensive secondary, and especially at the cornerback position, you cannot allow him to complete those passes and extend those plays. When Williams runs out of the pocket, he is not looking to scramble first. He is always looking for that pass opportunity. That's why wide receivers want to go play with him is because he's always looking to pass first, even when he rolls out of the pocket. Utah, you cannot allow him to do so because he's really good at doing that. We saw that in both the game in Salt Lake City, but more especially in that first quarter against Utah in the Pac-12 championship. It was those scramble opportunities where he'd find a wide open Mario Williams or Brendan Rice wide open down the field, and that allowed them to extend big plays down the field. So that's my first key. You can't allow him to do that. 
my second key, Barnes needs to make his reads quicker. And I think that the best opportunity for Utah to do this is to create quick pass play options to allow for more ease on the run game. Now, Utah's bread and butter is to establish the run game and then to open up pass opportunities. USC's pass defense is their weakness. Their run defense is a little bit better. So obviously, I need them to take advantage of the passing game so that they can have a better opportunity to win this contest against the Trojans. Now, in my opinion, in order to ease up on the run game, I think Jackson will be the key back since Vaki's Wildcat is an easier option to defend, especially after a week of film. Like I mentioned, from a viewer standpoint, the Wildcat formation is easy, right? You are you automatically know, okay, Vaki's in the backfield. He's going to be running the ball. I you just have to you just have to see where he's going to run with the ball, but you know he will have it moving down the field. Jackson is a different player, obviously because he's a standard running back, but he has more athleticism in terms of physicality and toughness, in my opinion, than Vaki. But maybe that's just because I haven't seen enough of Sione. But he also has so many more assets, and he can allow the offense to stretch out a little bit more because of his physicality to run up the middle. So if Barnes is able to complete those quick play passes, then I expect Jackson to have a fantastic game against this USC defense. So that's my second key to this game. My third one. Utah needs to take time on their drives, and you need to make sure that the offense always finishes at the least close to their own 40-yard line because this allows Jack Baumeister to flip the field and give Williams little room for error when he's backed up against his own end zone. Now, when you take your time, you're allowing the offense to get set up, and I think that allows a quarterback like Bryson Barnes to better read the defense before they start the play. That's the type of quarterback that Barnes is, right? I mentioned in the key just before this that he needs to make his reads quicker, but even if he doesn't, if you slow your time down on offense, this allows for Bryson Barnes to set up his offense, look at his wide receivers, and then look at the defense and decide who his best read is from that point moving forward. If they do this consistent, consistently, and if they get close to the 40-yard line, which I think they can against this USC defense, this allows a fantastic punter to flip the field and then allow your defense a great opportunity to force a turnover or not to allow Williams to get anywhere close into the red zone. Now, my fourth key my extra key, my bonus key this week is that the Utah defense needs to force at least three turnovers. This was another key I had for the Oregon State game. Utah did force one turnover, but they lost that game. You need to force three at least because you need extra opportunities on offense. Utah cannot have the same amount of time of possession or the same amount of drive that USC has because Caleb Williams will take more advantage than Bryson Barnes will. There's no other way around it. Utah needs to force three turnovers. That's just what you have to do. If Utah does all four keys, I think they win this game 28 to 27. This game needs to be the best game out of the Utes, and I want to see if they can do it. And if they do all four of these keys, I think they can. That's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this new episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you want to follow along, you can follow me on Twitter or X at NateThatcher15 and on Instagram at Thatcher Effect Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you all next week and go use.